You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Let's bring in uh, Big Mike Golick, Pro Football Talk Live co-host, a, a former Notre Dame defensive lineman and a former Mike and Mike co-host. You know, people say it's hard to get into Notre Dame, and I said the Golicks all got into Notre Dame, so it's not that tough to get into Notre Dame, is it, Mike? No, no, it's really not, Dan. <laughs> Thanks for that. And by the way, had I, uh, had, I had the insightful analysis of the uniform yeah. being the reason that uh, the Bears and the quarterbacks aren't playing well, I may still have a job <laughs> as a morning radio. <laughs> so, so that's what happened. That's what that's happened. It. Yep. That was it. I just, what, not, not, not enough great uniform analysis got me booted. <laughs> yep. yep. This just in. We finally figured out what happened to Mike and Mike. Mm. Um was there a tactful way for Brian Kelly to leave Notre Dame that everybody would have been okay with? I, you know what? I, I find it hard to imagine there's any way because what do all these coaches say when they're in the living room, you know, of an, of an 18-year-old is, I'm going to be your coach. Um, I, I, I don't know of any that sit in there, and maybe I'm wrong, I'm not in the living room, where they say, you know what, come to my school and I might be there and I might not be you know, for the next, for, for your time there. So they all give the, the thought that they're going to be there. And then as far as leaving, what makes it tough, Dan, is now it's less than two weeks away is the early signing period. The NCAA did that. It used to be the February where you had a little more time. Now you got to have your ducks in a row by then. So um, the only way I could think it, it listen, we're, we're two guys from a different era. I don't think it can be, it can be held off. Could Brian Kelly say, hey, to the AD, we're the only ones talking right now. My plan is to do this, but I don't need this out on social media. I need to go back and talk to my team first. I don't know if you can do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly do not know if you can do that anymore. I'm glad he went back and talked to him after the fact. He didn't do that when he left Cincinnati to go to Notre Dame. And I, I certainly had a problem with that. I, I don't know if there's a tactful way with the timing of everything now in college football. And also, everybody saw this with Cliff Kingsbury where they're the Oklahoma rumor and he doesn't deny it. And he didn't really push it to the side and say, I'm absolutely not going to Oklahoma. It was like, okay, he's going to use that to get a new deal with Arizona. What if Arizona just said, uh, you want to go coach in college, then go ahead. We got a young team where, you know, you want to go, go. I, I think Cliff would probably take that chance. Uh, saying, but but I, I get your point because you know you, you're basically, and I don't blame. Listen, we would all. What what's the greatest word there is in contract and talk? It's leverage. And all of a sudden, you have other people after you, and you could you can go because contracts don't mean a damn thing as far as coaches are concerned. So they can go. So if you have the leverage, how many college coaches are going to get paid like Mel Tucker did? Uh, you know because their name gets thrown out. Yeah, you know, I'm waiting for Mel uh, for uh, Matt Campbell from Iowa State if he doesn't take another job to get paid. If you, you can use it to your, your advantage, so be it. But there is that side of it if, the, if they say, oh, no, go ahead. You can go if you want. It, it would be really interesting what would happen then. I don't expect that to happen, but certainly a team could say it. But if I'm Oregon and Mario Cristobal wants to flirt with Miami, then I would say go. Given what you've produced the last two games against Utah, go. Feels like you're already out the door. So, so I guess the other side of that, because we were talking about that with, with, with uh, Jim Harbaugh, right? Where he would get them to nine, 10 wins a year, but he wasn't beating Michigan State consistently. He hadn't beaten Ohio State at all. He wasn't getting into the Big Ten championship. He certainly wasn't getting in the four team tournament. 
So you would say, was it getting close for, for Jim to be gone because he was losing those big games? But then it's like, and I say the same thing with Mario. Who are you getting? You know, where, where are you going? What, who are you going to get? He's getting you right to the brink every year. And at some point, I, I know time will run out. But that's the first thing I always ask is like, okay, where are you going to go that's going to all of a sudden you're going to beat Utah, you know, this time? You know, is, is Mario Cristobal the reason you're not beating Utah and you could find somebody that can? How about Chip Kelly returning to Oregon? Boy, wouldn't that be something? It just certainly hasn't worked for Chip the way he thought it was going to be, you know, when, when he was running that offense there and then brought it to the NFL and it fizzled out there and, and the return to college. So, I, I, listen, it would not shock me at all if they were trying to relive the day there a little bit. I don't know if you can, but give it a shot. If you want to have somebody that had success, there, there's a proven guy who had success at your school. That's actually a really good name. He's uh, Mike Golick, the uh, Pro Football Talk Live co-host with Mike Florio, and of course, uh, formerly with uh, Mike and Mike. I, you know, why is it that we don't embrace Tom Brady as maybe the leading candidate for the MVP? It's almost like well, we're, I, we're looking, like, can we come up with somebody other than a 44-year-old guy? Is, is it the Michael Jordan effect or the LeBron effect where, not that Tom's won it as many times as that, but... He's just always there. He's just a constant. He's like that, that, that bu- bug in your buzzing in your ear. He's always there. It's like you're looking over here and you're like, oh yeah, there's that buzzing in my ear. There's Tom Brady throwing four more touchdowns. There's Tom Brady throwing five touchdowns because we haven't seen it before, Dan. We haven't seen a guy this old who is Benjamin Button, you know, who is reverse aging, uh, who is still performing this well. We're not used to it. So how much do we buy into it that says a 44-year-old? What is it saying when the 44-year-old we're saying is the best player in our league, a league of 20 and early 30-somethings? It, it's pretty odd. It, it, I guess it's tough to comprehend, but it could be reality because of the way he's playing. Give me the NFL team that you just can't figure out at this stage of the season. Um, I would say Buffalo. And, you know, they're playing, obviously, tonight against New England. You know, you, you look at the last six games, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. You know, you score 45, you score six. You know, you give up 31, you give up 15. And at one point, they were scoring the most and, and, and giving up the least, offense and defense. They were the complete team. That's the Cardinals now. I can't figure them in a good way. A team I can't figure in a bad way is Minnesota, but they can't figure themselves out either. But I mean, a good team, we expected Buffalo to be be running that division now, right? And now there's New England again, you know, top of the division and the number one seed, old Bill, sly old Bill getting it done. But I would say Buffalo, I can't, I can't figure him out. Maybe let Josh Allen go do what he does again. Let him go run around. You know, that's when they seem they were, they were kind of at their best when they just kind of let him do his thing. We'll see what happens. And also with the Patriots, like be, begrudgingly acknowledge the Patriots are good again. Like we, yeah. don't, we don't want to, but, you know, you go, damn, they're eating four. They, if they would happen to win tonight, then people would probably say they're the best team in the AFC. Because the AFC, it, it is, we went from, okay, you have to build a team that can score with the Kansas City Chiefs to now wondering who the hell is going to score all the points, right? Because the Chiefs aren't what they were, and it's a combination of things from drop passes to Pat, to Patrick to the defense early in the year to other teams don't stay stagnant and just say, oh, well, they're just going to let the Chiefs kick our ass every year. They try and get better as well. So we don't have that dominant high-scoring team in the AFC anymore. So that perfectly opens the door for a Bill Belichick defensive-led team that – that keeps teams down scoring and lets your rookie quarterback, who is already great from the neck up, 
really kind of mature physically as an NFL quarterback. It's kind of the perfect timing thing to go with an AFC that isn't that isn't um, any offensive juggernauts where we thought we were going to get the offensive juggernauts this year. Help me explain the logic of the Ravens going for two instead of going for the tie. Well, I mean, I know what John said as far as his cornerbacks. He was running out of them, um, and he doesn't think that would have bode well for overtime, and it may not bode well for the rest of the, of the year going forward. <clears throat> I don't. So I can understand that. I don't know what the analytics said on that one, if it was a go-for-two or not situation. Um, Pittsburgh had certainly played a better second half than they did a first half. Maybe you take that into consideration. And by the way, the play was there, Dan. The play was there. The guy who made the play, obviously Lamar could have had a little bit better of a throw. Mark Andrews, we've seen him make one-handed catch, maybe could have made that catch. But T.J. Watt did a great job not crashing down on the fake and then keeping contained because Lamar, I'm sure, expected to be able to get outside, and then he's got a two-way go, him or Andrews, or, or you know, they're, and they're going to get it. But T.J., you know, who's just coming off the COVID thing and three and a half of the seven sacks, does a nice job of not only not going down to the fake but staying at the high, the outside hip and staying outside and not let Lamar run outside and have to make a quicker throw. But other than that, I mean, the play was there to be had. So I don't have much of a problem with it. The execution, just give Pittsburgh and T.J. Watt a little credit there. Well, I just wondered with the Ravens, you've got the best field goal kicker, maybe in history. And that's a weapon if you go into overtime. And you know Pittsburgh's got their kicker had a bad afternoon. So that was the only thing I thought of is I can take my chances because I always have this weapon. And nobody else in football has this weapon. But... You're right. The play was there. It was just, you know, it wasn't as firmly executed as you would have hoped there. Um, You had 11 career sacks. 11 and a half, Dan. 11 and a half. Paul, did he have 11 or 11 and a half? He's right. I should have rounded up to 12. Okay. Your favorite sack in your NFL career was against? Well, I would say it's when uh, it was in 89 when we played the Cowboys. Uh, I believe we had 11 or 12 sacks as a team that day. And I, and I had, and I believe I had two and a half sacks. So that was the greatest day of, of pass rushing in my nine year career of which I like to think of as consistency. Okay. Nine years, 11 and a half sacks. People say that's not a lot. I say it's consistent. It's a consistent little over one a year. And also I should tell, I'll pull the curtain back a little bit. Me and my brother, Bob, who was a defensive uh, lineman as well, we would have a contest every year of who would have the most sacks. And as soon as one of us would get one, it would be a commanding lead for how well of pass rushers that we were. Uh, but that game, I would say, where I had two, two and a half sacks against Troy Aikman and we, we shut them down was probably the most fun I had without question. Okay. I'm just, do you ever mention that to Troy Aikman that you owned him that day? <clears throat> I, I actually just saw Troy. I was calling a, a Thursday game that he was doing. And we were on the field. We actually, we were ta- it was in Cleveland. We were talking to Baker Mayfield for a bit. Then he turned to me and he said, you know, he said, my mom loved watching your show, uh, loved watching Mike and Mike. He said, because, and she said, because you mentioned his name a lot. And whenever I would mention my three career interceptions, one of them was against Troy. But I'd always <laughs> mention that Troy ended up tackling me as well. And Troy said, my mom loved that you mentioned my name and that I tackled you after throwing an interception. So she always really likes you and your show. And I'm like, well, tell your mom thank you. I appreciate wow. that very much. Three interceptions? That's uh, pretty impressive. So you, you picked off Troy Aikman. And who? Uh, yeah. what other quarterbacks have that on their resume? 
So uh, I picked off him. I picked off Don Majikowski uh, off a tip pass by Reggie White. Uh, and then Reggie, the late, great Reggie, who was a dear friend of mine, and God rest his soul, didn't block Majikowski, and, and, and so he tackled me. And then I intercepted a ball from Jim Everett, and Jim Everett tackled me. So I had three <laughs> interceptions, which I consider to be pretty impressive, yep. yet each time I got tackled by the quarterback, which I consider to be not very impressive. Is there anybody better defensively, defensive line than Reggie White? In my eyes, no, uh, because of all he could do. He could line up at end. He could line up on the guard. He could line up on the center. It didn't matter uh, where he lined up. He could play the run. He could play the pass. He had maybe the best move there was with the rip and the hump move where he could take the biggest, strongest guys and, and just leverage them out of the way. Um, just, you know, the, sometimes they say when you're a great player, you look strong, but you're not really that strong. He was that strong in the weight room. He was that great on the field. I watched him run a 4 six forty at over 300 pounds. I mean, he was he was an unbelievable uh, uh, player. And, and, and in my eyes, you know, it's for free agency. We're all together for so long in Philly. He was a hell of a person, too, a better person than a player. And, uh, and that's, that's what I certainly miss the most about him. But from a football aspect, just because of where he could go up and down the line, to me, I, I, I didn't see anybody better. How would you compare him with Aaron Donald? Well, I mean, two different. I mean, Aaron Donald starts the year in the 280s and probably finishes in the 70s or the high 60s, quite honestly. They're two different game players. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's the quickness inside with the moves that Aaron Donald has, and there's the raw power uh, that Reggie would play with as well as quickness at times. And again, Reggie would move up and down the line. I'm not saying, listen, whenever you talk like this, people say, oh, my God, he's criticizing Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is one of the greatest defensive lineman to ever play this game but I like I said because Reggie could go anywhere on the line and maybe Aaron could too if they wanted him to or let him he could probably do that they just do it in different ways they're two of the best to ever do it they just do it in different ways I was wondering about Micah Parsons that you know you come in as a linebacker you don't get paid as linebackers you want to be an edge rusher can he how does that work to be reclassified well, listen, guys have tried it. Didn't Jimmy Graham try yeah, it? I yeah. mean, he tried it to be a wide receiver instead of a tight end. You try and so what you do is you try and get your agent to say how many times you lined up where, right? And certainly him as a as a pass rusher, as an edge rusher, or as a linebacker, there's going to be a monster difference uh, when you get to franchise tagging or what you're going to be paid. This dude is unbelievable what he is doing. His versatility is incredible with what he's doing. I don't know if he'll win his classification. Let's just say either way, he's on the road to making a whole lot of money, but I know you want to maximize that. So it will be interesting of how he, he will definitely try to be classified as an outside rusher. You believe in the Cowboys? Um, boy, you know, you, you the way that I, I did in the beginning of the year, and there are times I do, but I think – like a lot of teams this year, they leave you scratching your head every now and then. Now, again, they've had their two wide receivers, you know, between injury and COVID. They haven't been, been stable there. Zeke, you wonder. Pollard has been doing well. It's turned into a two-back system uh, for sure. That old line when, when Teron Smith is out is different than when he's in. Luckily, Zach Martin has been in for the most part for them. They haven't been running the ball as good as I, as I thought as of late. They need to do that better. Let me just say this. 
I believe them more if they have all their pieces. Now, you could say that about every team, right? But that's what this game is, Dan. You know it. You've been around this long enough. It's a war of attrition. Yeah. Once you get to the playoffs, do you have your guys that you need to win? That's going to be the, the, the thing. You know what? You're finding out what I found out when Oberman left to go to Fox. And even to this day, I still have people asking me about Keith Oberman. The rest of your life, you'll be asked about you and Greeny. Oh, yeah. It, it's like, you know, uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Like, you know, it just that it's going to be there forever. And you guys did it for two decades. You know, it's almost like you have to have that Stan Pat answer when somebody <laughs> says, hey, how are you and Greeny? Or you guys going to get back together? All these things that I got with Oberman, you guys going to get back on SportsCenter? I mean, I'm still getting that. So do you have that Stan Pat answer when somebody says, hey, you and Greeny get back together? Uh, yeah, I just the, the, I think the Sam Pat answer is basically it's not going to happen. Just kind of I don't know what yours was, but I, I guess the the best answer would be this is a crazy business where paths cross and recross all the time. So you never can say never. I guess that would be the most general answer I could give. Yeah. Wait, is that breaking ah, news? Golik says there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> that said. You could probably finish it like Mike Tomlin and say, it's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, great to talk to you, buddy. My best to your wife and family, and uh, I'll see you backstage at a Darius yeah. Rucker concert sometime soon. That sounds good, Dan. Thanks. Thank you, buddy. You. That's Mike Golick, Big Mike, uh, Pro Football Talk Live co-host. He uh, works with Mike Florio occasionally there. Always good to catch up with him. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Before we get to uh, the new Notre Dame head coach, Marcus Freeman, this is what it sounded like when he was introduced in the weight room as the new head coach to his football players. Let's bring in coach. What was that feeling like, Marcus? Oh, it was surreal, Dan. Uh, what a great uh, moment for me personally, but hopefully for our team. And uh, it was a chance to embrace those guys and to uh, let them know that this isn't about a speech. This isn't about, you know, a statement. This is about me being around my players. And uh, it was an awesome moment. When did you get the job? When did you find out you were going to be offered the head coaching job? Uh I think I, I knew maybe two days before I wasn't officially offered the job um, until that Thursday. I think it's it's all running together. I'm trying to figure this out. Did Brian Kelly ask you if you wanted to go to LSU? He did. He did. And what did you say? I said um, I need a job. So I said, yeah, let me talk to my wife. And that, that's, that's the first thing I said. I said, absolutely. I said, let me talk to my wife. And that gave me time to kind of figure this whole thing out. And, and it all happened uh, extremely fast after that. But when do you realize how high, highly you're thought of at Notre Dame? Because here's Brian thinking, hey, I can probably steal the defensive coordinator and then maybe even, uh, you know, Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator at LSU. Yeah, I'm sure that was in his thought process when he took the job. Um, but, you know, when I started to get calls from from our athletic director and, and I started to get text messages and people reaching out that um, are highly regarded um, around Notre Dame, I, I realized, oh, this might be pretty real. And so <laughs> I put the, the holds on and going anywhere. And I said, let's let's see what happens here at Notre Dame. OK, so you talk to your wife. 
you bounced around. I think you were at Kent State, Purdue, Cincinnati, now Notre Dame. I mean, it's a tough life. You're only, what, going to be 36. You got yep. six kids. Like, you know, you're talking to your wife. What's that conversation like of this This might be happening? <laughs> uh, it's surreal. We, you know, it's like, are we, are we sure? And then every moment, um, you know, it was like every minute seemed like an hour. And I remember on Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, I can't remember what day it was, but I was sitting <laughs> at home waiting for the athletic director to call me um, and tell me we're going to meet somewhere to talk. And I remember just sitting there saying, I can't do this. I can't sit at home anymore. I'm going on the road recruiting. And I got in my car and I just started driving <laughs> to Michigan to go to go see a kid. And all of a sudden he calls me and says, hey, we'll meet this afternoon. And I just stopped right in the middle of the highway, turned around and started heading back to South Bay. <laughs> Yeah. And it's a weird week. I mean, it's a weird business that you're in. Yet it's like if I told you two years ago, you know, by the way, you're going to be a head coach at Notre Dame. <laughs> no way would I have thought that was uh, going to happen. You know, I knew at some point in my career um, I was going to be a head coach. You know, that was the, the, the path I was on. Um, I did not think it would be this year at the University of Notre Dame, but but, you know, what a great opportunity. And, and that's what I keep telling myself is, you're fortunate to get this opportunity. Now let's not screw it up. Let's do everything in your power to make sure that you do everything to get these kids ready to have success. And uh, it starts with the people and it starts with giving them your heart. And that's what I plan on doing. But I would have sent that video out to every recruit coach when your players reacted the way they did. And I just would have said, are you curious why these players love this man this much? Come to South Bend and find out. Uh, we put it out on social media. I don't know if we've done that, sent it to uh, all the recruits, but you just gave me a great <laughs> idea. And as soon as we're done with this Zoom session, I'll make sure that happens. Uh, last time you talked to Brian Kelly was when? Um, on the phone Monday, and then he texted me uh, after I was named head coach and he told me congratulations. Uh, what was it like yesterday watching or Saturday watching the football with the possibility that maybe you were going to slip into the final four? Who were you rooting for or against coach? <laughs> well, I was obviously, uh, you know, we knew there was a scenario where four things, two of the four things had to happen. And, you know, finally I got a chance to just turn on the TV in the fourth quarter of the uh, Oklahoma state game. And, you know, I saw the very end of that game and, and that was one, one of the four. You know, and then I could not root against Cincinnati. You know, those are kids that I helped recruit. Even if it um, meant you could get into if couldn't do it. No, I couldn't do it. You know, those kids, those are kids that you love. Those are kids you recruit. Those are kids you grow with. And uh, Coach Fickle was obviously he was my college position coach and somebody that gave me opportunity to be the first be, to be defense coordinator for the first time. And so I was rooting like heck for those uh, that program for him and those kids. Um and they won. And so um, then we were obviously you were hoping that somehow, you know, either the SEC game or the uh, Big Ten championship, it would go our way. And it didn't. But, you know, we control what we can control. And that's what I've told this group. And, I, and that's what I'm telling myself is what a great opportunity we have um, on January 1st to play Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl. Brian Kelly talked about the hurdles, limitations of recruiting at Notre Dame. Um how limiting is that or what is the biggest challenge that you're going to face in getting players, you know, to fit into Notre Dame, be able to get into Notre Dame? Well, the biggest challenge is to be able to clearly communicate what makes Notre Dame special. 
And that's to me, what I've tried to do since I've sat in this chair is that, Hey, there are so many things that Notre Dame can offer a young man that will help him be successful in the rest of his life. If you want a chance to win a national championship, well, there's certain schools that give you the opportunity to do that. Notre Dame being one, if you want a chance to really set yourself up for the rest of your life by earning a degree from Notre Dame, then you can do that here. And it, and what you got to do is you got to find a way to get that young person to see life after football. But it's, if it's all about national championship, great. Notre Dame could be in a contention. Let's talk about it. We've been in playoffs two out of the past three years. But if you can get that young person to see the minute they're done playing, that's when Notre Dame has a great opportunity to get them. What's in your office there? Well, I'm in the staff room. There's a couple pictures on the wall. Um, do you, after, but, but do you have, did you take over Brian's office? Are, are you going to redecorate? At some point, I think I'll, I'll move over there right now. I'm in my corner office and I keep telling myself, this is a reminder where you're at, what, what you've done to get to this point. I don't need a big office right now. I need to get to work. And that's what I'm doing. <laughs> How did you end up at Ohio State? Um, I was from Ohio and um, you're from Dayton, right? From Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. And uh, I grew up an Ohio State fan. You know, my dad was from Columbus, Ohio. I grew up watching Ohio State. And, and when Jim Trestle offered me a scholarship to Ohio State, I knew in my heart that's where I wanted to go. Did I actually, Notre Dame down, recruit you, Marcus? Yep. Yep. It came down to actually Ohio State and Notre Dame. And uh, um, I really liked Tyrone Willingham, who was the head coach at that time. And so ultimately, I, I chose Ohio State. And I told our AD, I said, I don't want to make the same mistake twice. <laughs> well done well done uh are you going to schedule lsu um i'll leave that up to uh, jack <laughs> but listen we i mean at notre dame you you you'll play anybody and uh but i'll let him make that decision do you realize cincinnati beating notre dame is the reason why cincinnati is going to play in the final four that's crazy it's crazy it sounds yeah yeah that's the reason and uh as much as you wanted to win that one, you know, if, if you could choose one team or one group of individuals to lose to, it's, it's that group because I know the work they put in and, and, you know, I'm going to be rooting like heck for them when they play Alabama. Coach, congratulations. Good luck, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. That's Marcus Freeman, Notre Dame's new head football coach. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, three-time Pro Bowler LeVar Arrington, and I couldn't be more excited to announce a new podcast called Up On Game. What is Up On Game, you ask? along with my fellow pro bowler, T.J. Hushmanzada, and Super Bowl champion, yep, that's right, Plexico Burris. You can only name a show with that type of talent on it. Up on game. We're going to be sharing our real-life experiences loaded with teachable moments. Listen to Up on Game with me, LeVar Arrington, T.J. Hushmanzada, and Plexico Burris on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. He's the uh, former NFL quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner at USC. Carson Palmer joining us on the program. Where are you right now? I am in Las Vegas, Nevada. Doing what? Uh, Tomorrow night, I am going into the College Football Hall of Fame. So there's a a banquet, event, all kinds of fun stuff going on here in, in Vegas. Who gets thanked first? 
when you go into the Hall of Fame? That's a good question. I, I think family. Mm. When you say family, it's very blanket. Yeah. It it handles kids. It handles parents. It handles wife. It handles brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles. So I think you, when you throw out the blanket, it handles everybody. How much luck goes into winning a Heisman? Uh, a lot of luck and, and really just timing. I mean, you watch what Bryce did, uh, against the, the Alabama defense against the, the Georgia defense. And we haven't seen anybody do that all season long and, and watching Bryce do that yesterday. Uh, I mean, 400 yards, multiple touchdowns, and he made that Georgia defense look really, really average. And, and you just don't see that. Uh, against a Georgia Bulldog defense like we've seen all season long. So I, I think I think Bryce won it yesterday. Yeah, or Saturday. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you have to have that Heisman moment, and that was a Heisman moment. What was your Heisman moment? My Heisman moment was against, uh, was against Notre Dame at, at home uh, in Los Angeles on the Coliseum floor. I think Notre Dame was – three, maybe four. Uh, there were one lost team. I think they were ranked three or four in the country. We were ranked four or five. Uh, and and beating beating Notre Dame, throwing for 400 and something yards, throwing for three or four or five or touchdowns, that, that was my Heisman vote. I got you a 425 and four touchdowns against Notre Dame. That was it. I mean, that that's the thing. is It's such a momentum award. And yeah. now that we have the playoffs and now that we have the opportunity to see Bryce play against the best of the best. And then again, uh, for two more games, hopefully the Alabama Crimson Tide are still playing for two, you know, two more weeks uh, of the, of the, of the championship week. I think that's what you need right now. I think the, the voters, I, I got my, uh, you, you know, as a voter, you get an email, you get multiple, you know, uh, things in the mail. And I could, I've been holding off. I've been waiting to watch Alabama play against, against, the Georgia Bulldogs. And, and that's the game I've been waiting for before I voted. And now that I saw that game, I, that's, that's where my vote, my number one vote is going is to Bryce. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, I'm a voter. And I just wanted to see if he had a, a standalone game where he, because you can give him credit or blame in how the Auburn game finished because he didn't do anything for 59 minutes and then did something. And then, you know, they went in overtime so you can kind of pick and choose there against Georgia. You know, there's, there's no argument there. He was great from start to finish. It's the best defense we've seen in, you know, five or 10 years and at the college football level. So to, so to watch him come out and play, you know, they were down Mechie. You saw Mechie go down early with the hamstring early, you know, whatever that issue was number one target goes down and he still continues to play and produce and put the numbers up. So, you know, I, I think it was a huge moment. It was a big, uh, a big win, obviously for the Alabama Crimson Tide, but more importantly uh, for Bryce. I mean, that, that was a Heisman winning weekend. Is there any downside to winning a Heisman? No, no, I'll never forget. I was, I was I don't know, 19 or 20 years old, whatever I was, I went into Norm Chow, who was my offensive coordinator at USC. Uh, and, and I was getting ready to get on a plane to fly to New York. And I was excited about it. I was, I was, you know, I was anticipating going to New York for the first time. 
on somebody else's dime, staying in a nice hotel, you know, limo service, all that. And then I went into Norm Chow's office and Norm was like, Hey, this is the moment where your life changes. This is the moment where everything is different from here on. And I remember hearing that and I was getting ready to fly on like a Tuesday. And I think the, the event was on a Saturday. And I remember hearing that and, and thinking that, you know, obviously Norm knows what he's talking about. He's, he's been there. He's done that. And then I went to New York. I won the Heisman. And, and from there on, no matter what you do in the NFL, no matter what you do thereafter, you're always known as a Heisman Trophy winner. And, and he, Norm, Norm Chow was spot on in that moment. We were talking about Kenny Pickett's fake slide in the pit game against uh, Wake Forest in the ACC title game. Okay, is it? What did you think of that play? First of all, you, you can't do that. I mean, it's it's bush league. You know, you as a quarterback, and whether you're in the NFL or, or the college level, as soon as you give yourself up, the play's over. As soon as you say, "All right, I'm taking myself out of this play. I'm turning into a third baseman. I'm sliding into third the play is over. As soon as you do that, the play is over. And I, I think um, there's going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot of changes from here on. Um, but as soon as you give yourself up and you say that the play is dead and you go into that slide, the play's over and, and, and they need to blow the whistle. What do you mean changes are going to happen? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, my, I think second or third year in the NFL, I had a guy dive directly into my knee in a playoff game, blow my knee out. And from then on, it was called the Carson Palmer rule. And then it later was called the Tom Brady rule. And then it'll probably be the Patrick Mahomes rule or whoever that is that, uh, that is that his knee is blown, blown out by one individual player on one individual play. You know, I, I think that that'll change. I, I think every, every, Ump will go into the offseason. They'll watch the film. They'll see it. They'll talk about it. They'll decide. It's kind of like when you saw it in the NBA. As soon as guys started faking charges, all of a sudden you started seeing fake charges get called. I think you're going to start seeing that uh, at some point because college football has got to change that. As soon as you give yourself up as a, as a quarterback or as a player and, and the play's over, the whistle's blown, you move on to the next play. That 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 will change. I think this offseason. Do you wish it was still called the Carson Palmer play? I do, I do, but I get it. I mean, Brady's Tom Brady, and and when you saw his knee get get blown out in that season end for the Patriots, it made a lot of sense why it was called the Brady Rule. Why are we almost fighting the urge to give Brady the MVP or have him as the leading candidate? nothing about it makes sense. I mean, the guy's almost 50 years old. <laughs> None of it makes sense. Um, the numbers he's put up me through four touchdowns yesterday against a really good uh, in Atlanta against a really good Atlanta defense that is doing everything they can to stop Tom Brady. And he just finds a way to throw three, four, five touchdowns every week. It's amazing. Yeah. And you keep looking at what he does. You know, Godwin had what, 12 or 14 catches and Evans and even Fournette out of the backfield. This is, you know, Tom's not taking a five step, seven step. He's just, it's out quickly. And it just, even if you know it's happening, he's still able to, you know, complete the mission here. Yeah. That haymaker's coming and, and everybody knows it's coming. And no matter what you do to block it and protect yourself, he consistently throws three, four, five. I mean, he's going to throw 40 touchdowns at 40 years old, which for a quarterback, 
that played in the NFL a long time ago that's 40 years old. I understand just how impressive that is. And maybe he gets to 50. Maybe they win another Super Bowl. It just it, it's one of those things that just no matter what that next milestone is, they are all impressive. It's like when you're playing golf and you get older and can you shoot your age? You know, when when somebody is 72 and they want to shoot a 72, like Tom Brady, 44, wanting to have 44 touchdowns at least. I mean, that's <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And, and it doesn't seem like it's going to end any, and there's no reason for it to end anytime soon. No, none of us want it to. We all kind of do. We want to see at some point, you know, that, that Patriot dynasty and now um, what's going on in Tampa. You want to see it slow down. You want to see that kind of, you want to see Patrick Mahomes take over that dynasty. You want to see whoever the next young Kyler Murray, whoever it is, but at the same time, I mean, you've everybody's got to be blown away by this. What what we're seeing week in, week out, it's it's mind-boggling. None of it makes sense. The guy's almost 50 years old, still doing it at the MVP level, and and he might end up winning it. And and that's that might be what we need to see as fans is a guy that's 44 win the MVP to go, okay, this guy is the greatest all time. Cause I feel like there's a lot of people kind of on the border and don't really want to give him that credit of the GOAT of the greatest of all time, it's done. He won it. He's the greatest quarterback in the history of the league, and we're just con- continuously seeing week after week him, him reach new milestones. He's Carson Palmer, former NFL quarterback, going into the College Football Hall of Fame tonight in Las Vegas. What did you make of the Ravens going for two to try to win the game in Pittsburgh? It's a rivalry game. You know, I, I know everybody wants to, you know, you know, put a bullseye in the back of Harbaugh. At the end of the day, when you're talking about the NFC or the AFC North, those two divisions are so difficult to win. They're so difficult week in, week out. You know, I, I love it. I love the aggressiveness. I love them saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to win this game or we're not on this one play and not playing for overtime, regardless of what's going on in Pittsburgh, regardless of what's going on in, in Ben Roethlisberger's career. At the end of the day, I love it. And unfortunately, that one didn't work out. Um, but they will work out over time for Harbaugh. You imagine if the uh, Patriots win tonight? That Because it feels like we're very begrudging in giving Belichick and the Patriots the credit they probably earned as one of the better teams in the AFC because we don't really know anybody on that team other than Mac Jones, and he's a rookie. I think they win. You know, I, I think they win. I think that stigma of getting past Belichick and getting past New England to be the creme de la creme of that division, it, it's hard to get to. And I, and I know everybody wants to jump on the, the Josh bandwagon and, and he's spectacular. He's, you know, he's got the arm, he's got the legs, he's got, he's got everything you want as a player. But at the end of the day, that division goes through New England and they're not giving it up. Mac Jones may be a, a rookie. He may be in, you know, his his first year under Belichick's uh, under Be- Belichick's control. But at the end of the day, I think that team wins. I think New England wins, and I think they're still the best team in that division. Is Tony Romo going into the College Hall of Fame tonight? He is. He is. Is he there? Uh, I'm sure he is. I haven't seen him yet. I think he's. I think he just got done calling a game last night at midnight. Uh, and is probably on his way to Vegas. Okay. Are you worried his speech might be a little more animated or, you know, he might, 
You know, he might have the telestrator out. You know what he's going to do? Yeah. Romo is great at predicting. He might be predicting what you're going to do before you do it. He might predict my speech, yeah. which that would suck. If I got up there and said the same speech that Romo just said about myself, that would suck. Are you going to gamble while you're there? I did last night. It didn't go great. It did not go good. <laughs> what, do you still have the Heisman? Uh, you you shipped it to me, but I don't have the key to open the box. It's in this big, beautiful crate, this big, beautiful you know, bank vault looking box. And I don't have the key somewhere. The key is somewhere in the mail. I'm hoping. So I have a nice big box. Oh no. The the Heisman is in the, in the box. I will tell you that it is there. I I hope so. It's heavy. Yeah. It's certainly heavy, but I don't, I need the key. Oh no. Do you, do we know who sent that damn thing out to, (sighs) It's the one of the guys in the back. Yeah, Paulie. You said it, make it sure you, Dan. No, Dan, you I, said you were going to take great care. I of it. did. I closed that suitcase because I wanted to make sure, like you know, his his hand wasn't sticking up, and then we bent his finger or anything like that. I closed the case and then we locked it. <sighs> Isn't there a key that works in this in all of those Heisman cases? I think there's a Heisman key. Okay. Um, I got I, I got a different key. I didn't get the Heisman key. I got a key, but I don't have that key. So maybe Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, maybe one of those guys <laughs> will send me a key. I'm hoping. Oh, man, I'm embarrassed. You were nice enough to let us have, well, borrow the Heisman, and I wanted to make sure it got back to you for this big moment. Damn. We'll figure it out. No, I'm we'll sorry about that. Do you want to fire somebody? Can, can I fire somebody? I'd love to fire somebody. I, I went to the tables last night. Blackjack was not hot. I'm a little bit pissed off still. Is there anybody there I can fire? Yes, Seaton. Well, I'll bring there, back tomorrow. I'm getting messages in my ear about people are already firing off blame and saying, oh, it's Mario, but actually technically Dylan did it, but then it was Mario who said to Eric to sue the thing. Oh, so. my God. What? A lot of backstabbing. It also could have been a problem with the actual mail, whether it's FedEx, UPS, whatever you call it, because I got a photo was sent to me from the College Football Hall of Fame showing the case, and then there was an envelope that had a little tear in it that was attached to the case that the key was supposed to be in, and somehow there was a little tear where the key was either taken or it fell out of the envelope. Damn. This, this is a developing story, Carson, that I've got to get some of my best people on this. Yeah, put them on it. They, uh... Typically, those keys, those little teeny tiny keys don't come up at the FedEx facility or the UPS facility. But if I can fire somebody, that would make me feel so much better. Um, I got a guy, McLovin, who's a lame duck, who's going to leave right before. I can't fire McLovin. I'm not firing McLovin. I love McLovin. Oh, my God. Yeah, Paulie. Can you display a Heisman case on your mantle? Just when people come over, <laughs> trust me, my Heisman's in there. There's a lot of just put it up there. You got a strong mantle, don't you, Carson, in that Idaho house? I've got a I've got a big heavy hearth that you can put hearth. that case on. And it's a gorgeous case. There's no doubt about it. So it, it yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you just say trust me that my Heisman is in there. It's in it. It's in it. All right. I'm gonna work on that and see if we can find the key. To your Heisman. That's embarrassing. You know, you would have thought that we would have lost the Heisman and you would have gotten the key. But it's the other way around.
typically that's how it works. But you know what? Like I said, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hopeful. I think it'll show up at some point. If it doesn't show up, I've got a big, gorgeous case. Have fun tonight. Don't let Romo out, out speech you. Cause it feels like he might be fired up, ready to go. Oh, I mean, he loves a camera and a microphone. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah. I'll be in the back. I'll be waiting to, uh, I'll be, I'll be scanning the casino floor, looking for the right table, looking for the right dealer, <laughs> looking for the right seat. That's all I need is one good shoe. All I need is one good shoe. Uh, have fun tonight. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dan. And that's Carson Palmer. 